It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and by Seb Stafford-Bloor, editor of TIFO Football. According to David De Gea, this is the real Manchester United. They're renewing the old vows of pace, movement, touch, width and ambition. The Mourinho mutation is a fading memory. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is being mentioned in the same breath as Sir Matt Busby. And the spirit of Sir Alex Ferguson, remember him, is alive and well. It begs the question, is that enough to renew a great club? What do you think? <laughs> well, they're on the right path. Now, is that enough on its own? Probably not. They've got a long way to go, haven't they, Manchester United? They've been in the doldrums for a few years now. But look, pretty faultless start from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Very, very impressed with his approach. You know, the way that he got the players on side. We knew that he was a nice guy and that he would, he would be a, the right person to get the spirits up. But this was his big test against Spurs. Can he organise a team for a big game? Has, you know, has he got much of a tactical brain? And I think he passed the examination with flying colours. So Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's put his name right in the frame for Manchester United job in the long term. Whether that's the right decision for the club moving forwards, we don't know yet. But let's, it's a great start. Let's see what the future holds. You were at Wembley, Seb. What are the impressions? What's the mood music like? Well, I think one of the observations is that they're not dramatically different. As a team, if you look down on them, there's no structural difference. There's no... Um, great change which has, has sort of facilitated this improvement in form but mood is the right description because everything seems a little bit optimistic I mean the you know whilst the movement is very similar everything seems to happen quicker and there's less inhibition in the football and there's everything's a little bit lighter players seem to be I don't know it's a very trite observation it's one which has been made many times by many other people but everything seems to be happier um, and that's very important. Yeah. These intangibles do really matter. The happiness uh, uh, is a factor, for sure. But I was just going to say that, that what he's added is pace. Yeah. He's gone with Rashford up front, yeah. which is something that Jose Mourinho was always reluctant to do for a run of games. And now we're seeing Rashford can be a frontline striker for Manchester United. Putting Pogba in that forward role as, a, as a, more of a free number 10. Very clever. And what really impressed me in the game, and it's how the goal came about, was that during the match... He went to split strikers, so he put two wide strikers in Marshall and Rashford with Lingard as a sort of false nine, which sounds weird, but it worked a treat. They got it very, very yeah. well. Yeah, it worked a yeah. treat because those two quickies, Marshall and Rashford, 
spun down the sides of the two centre-halves, and that's, of course, how they scored their goal. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, we're talking about a, a spiritual change there, yeah. but also we've got to look at the statistical side. Opta have got a stat about fast breaks, i.e., yeah. you know, really good counter-attacks. There were more Manchester United fast breaks in that first half at Wembley than there had been in 17 games under Mourinho. <laughs> that tells you everything, doesn't it? It's damning. I mean, the one caveat I'd add, Mike, is that Tottenham's midfield is held together by gaffer tape and it broke a little bit yesterday. Obviously, Moussa Sissoko limped off before half-time. So, to watch it, it, it was strange. It was like watching basketball at times because there was no midfield. And so maybe that exaggerated things. I think, i just add to something that Adrian said, in that the Rashford goal, think back to that chance he missed during Mourinho's last days where Mourinho rather comedically looked to, you know, the crowd and mm. made a gesture to TV cameras. I think if Mourinho is still his manager, I don't think he takes that on. It's a lovely finish, but it's not it's not necessarily an angle which demands that you shoot. It's a it's one of the situations where a forward could be forgiven for checking back, waiting, holding the ball and waiting for the support. And instinctively, what what a, what a goal. What a goal. Well, ahead of that game, yeah. Jose had said, of course, Mike, that he's a top, top striker. It's one of his catchphrases. But he said that he believes he can be on a par with Harry Kane. Now, if, if ever that is a, there was a compliment chucked out there yeah. for your centre-forward, it's that. Yeah. So, look, he gave him that belief ahead of the game. And in that moment that mattered, Rashford believed it and he, and he finished for so it. So, is it all about the power of personal faith? And I, I noticed that Mickey Phelan spent quite a bit of time with him immediately after the game on the pitch talking to Rashford. There's obviously that link that goes back to, you know, academy days. Yeah. You've got, you know, Mickey Carrick and, and, and Kira McKenna yeah. being involved and engaged in a collective piece of management it, with Solskjaer. It's, well, I, I think I'm glad you brought that up because it feels like they're a team, like a management team, whereas it, Jose, you always got the impression it was his way of the highway. And there's nothing wrong with that, but but if it can be a bit cold, can't it? His way in the highway, <laughs> but it's also his way in giving me the halo, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, true. Um, but they, they look like a real close-knit coaching staff, don't they, with, with McKenna, Carrick and, and Solskjaer. And just putting the arms around the shoulders of the players that have been a bit alienated by Jose, it, it's common sense, and they've reaped the rewards instantly. Well, I, 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 that game yesterday was the, the third of the Solskjaer games that I've seen. It's really interesting, that sort of collaborative theme to the management. You see all of those people in the technical area over the course of 90 minutes, whereas you're quite right. Michael Carrick, during times on the arena, you almost forgot he was there. This might be dreadfully unfair, but he seemed like a token link to the past and a kind of a concession to somebody somewhere, whereas now Solskjaer is there, but he's quite obviously taking advice and, you know, that he's not making unilateral decisions about what to do in games. And, and it's... Um, Kieran McKenna, of course, worked at Spurs. So quite a useful person to have in your technical area yesterday, definitely. Yeah. Um, in terms of making ground up, mm. they've made up that mm -hmm. deficit on Arsenal, you know, in pretty quick time. Yes. With reservations, do you actually look at United now and see a top four team? Based on the form they showed at Wembley, yeah, they definitely looked like a top four side. I was really impressed. Obviously, they've still relied on David De Gea <laughs> producing a, a miraculous performance at times. And the shooting wasn't the best. They weren't all in the corner, but it was a brilliant goalkeeping display. His so, positioning is un unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. But, but no, so they're not a perfect team. Uh, of course they're not. But if they continue with this momentum, they have a chance of top four for sure because we've seen how powerful that N-word can be in football. Leicester City, you know, if a group yeah. of players that were far less talented than Manchester United have yeah. got rode that wave far longer than anyone believed they could. And who's to say that, that United can't do that now? They've got the ability in their ranks. And they've, they have got a manager that clearly knows what he's doing or a management team that know what they're doing. So 
bright times ahead, I would imagine, for Manchester United. Huge decision, though, because if they do make top four, very hard, isn't it, for Manchester yeah. United's board to ignore that and go and appoint someone instead of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Then, when you look at the other candidates and their managerial CVs, Solskjaer should be nowhere near it. But he wouldn't deserve. To but what's do the such basis job? for not? I mean, we we all understand what the sort of the hidden virtues are that he possesses in this situation. We all understand what the caveats are. But at the same time, it's equally valid to say what's the basis for not giving him the job if if the form holds and he mm -hmm. if he if he reaches the top four and if he potentially a semi final or final of the FA Cup. What is the basis for dismissing his claim? It's very difficult. It's very, very yeah, well, difficult. It's, it's the Di, Di Matteo, isn't it? The, yeah, that's the argument. Exactly that. What happened yeah. there? It's, it's the longevity. Ranieri yeah. couldn't keep it up. Yeah. So, so it's, it's do they believe in him in the long term? But uh, I've just got a feeling he's, he is going to impress everyone over the coming months and that he, that he might now get the job. Yeah, what about um, Gareth Southgate? Done a fantastic job with England by common consent. Is he a pair? suited to international football rather than Apple suited to Old Trafford? Difficult question to answer, Mike, because what you're inclined to say here is to reference Middlesbrough and to say that shows someone that's not necessarily built for club football, but then that's... Different awful. character, that. Exactly, is. exactly. It's a very long time ago now and he's been in the FA system for a long time and he's clearly learnt a lot. Tactically, he's evolved. For the, for the disruption it would cause and the risk it would represent, I don't think it's an obvious... Clearly, Manchester United are thinking about it. That's been reported by Sam Wallace. But it's an odd one for me. It's not something which makes a lot of logical sense. At the moment, if it was my decision to make, I think you'd be looking purely between Solskjaer and Pochettino. And actually, given what Adrian just said, I think if that decision was to be made today or tomorrow, what's the basis for not saying Solskjaer? I, I, his virtues, his Manchester United specificity, it's important. Southgate has the, um, I think, charisma and uh, mental strength to yeah. handle the job. I mean, if you can handle the eyes of the nation on you, <laughs> uh, like you did at the World Cup, yeah. with such calmness and to make bold decisions in giving young players a chance, yeah. I just thought that he handled the responsibility quite magnificently, really. I don't think he's a very good tactician. I'm not convinced he'll ever be a, a, a great uh, tactical mind. And for that reason, I would swerve him for, oh, for the Manchester United. Job. I'd worry also that you're quite right. He, to deal with what England are as an entity is hugely impressive. But then that's really a sort of a once every two yeah. years It's situation. a day-to-day -day pressure. And also from a very low base. It's England and prior to the World Cup, it was a, it's sort of, if it's not a disaster, it's a success. That was the mindset. Is Manchester United is more of a 24-7 a issue and a... You know, no matter what you achieve, there is always something you should be doing. It's, ta uh, it's tailor-made for England right now. With, that, I, I with, agree. with the generation of young agree. players coming yeah. through, <laughs> England yeah. don't want to be looking for another manager. No, he is the no, ideal no. guy, no. Uh, even though I still have reservations about his decision-making in games. Yeah. I think he prepares the team brilliantly, but in games, I don't know if he's up to it. He wouldn't be on my top ten list for the United job. Where are we, said with Pochettino? Because, you know, as you said, he's got a midfield held together with gaffer tape. <laughs> Spurs fans are incredibly sensitive when you mention how small their squad is. Yeah. But facts are facts. You've, yeah. you've got there, they're on bare bones, you know, to quote the sainted Harry, aren't they? <laughs> I haven't quite reached the point where there are a three goalkeepers on the bench type of situation. <laughs> We're not quite the full red nap yet. But um, it's a difficult one, Mike, because obviously, you know, logically, he is in a position where his size form is being harmed by his resources. And that's obviously paired off with what Manchester United offer. And if there's one thing you associate with Manchester United, it's not scarcity of resources. 
I still believe, and this is based on nothing but hunch and what I've seen in press conferences and things I've, and sort of innuendo I've heard, I still think he'll stay. Just because I, I think what Tottenham represent, maybe not right at this minute when Harry Winks is his only available midfielder, but long term I think that that's more suited to his personality. Pochettino is someone with dynasty in mind, not necessarily a, a team builder in the every 12 months go out spend 200 million pounds sense, because I, it's kind of the superstars and the egos that that involves is kind of anathema to his, his brand of management. I think a fairly honest exchange of views has to occur between him and Daniel Levy in terms of not what happens in this transfer window, but what happens once the stadium is open and all the asterisks are removed. What is actually going to happen year to year from over the next five years? What are the realistic budgets? What can he believe he can achieve? Because what we can't have really, I don't think, is a situation like last summer where in the season, in his press conference, very publicly, he talks about the way things need to, to be done. And then over the next three months, the club are sort of are trying to obfuscate that statement and say, well, actually, what he really meant is, no, no, we, we've got to sign nobody. And it's a strange situation. I think it needs clarity, not public clarity, but clarity between the two of them. Um, and then I, I think he'll, he'll still be Tottenham manager this time next year, I'd have mm. thought. Yeah, you know, they're also incredibly reliant on Harry Kane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some stats. 49 days in 2016, 24 days in 2017, 20 days in 2018. There are a number of days that he's been out with ankle ligament problems. Right, OK. Uh, we don't know what the extent of the current one is, yeah. but if it's another three, four weeks, you know, which is the average there, yeah. that's bad news. Well, it's bad news with Song going, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it means Lucas Moore will probably have to not step fit. up. Oh, not, not fit, fit at the not moment. Fit for no. a few weeks. Not no, fit no. for a few. Right. No. Okay. Well, yeah. The, the Lorente then. <laughs> well, he won't be going anywhere uh, in January. Start polishing your boots, mate. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's a, it's a funny one. Um, Kane's been flogged. We know that. Um, why has he been flogged? It's because Spurs haven't invested in, in a good enough backup. And also, I think that his contract is tailored towards him playing yeah. as often as possible, yeah. heavy appearance money, just to justify his relatively low basic wage compared to what he's worth. So Spurs are, by, by devising the contract that they have, I think Spurs are kind of damaging Kane in the, in the long term because they are overplaying him. But look, there's no crisis at Spurs. Goodness me. Right. I thought they played brilliantly in recent weeks, superb in December, and they were excellent in the second half against Manchester United. But for David De Gea, they could have scored countless goals. So yeah. there's, there's absolutely no crisis there. And even if Kane's out, I wouldn't expect him to lose lose a whole bunch of games. It's, it's a really solid side. Central midfield, I've been saying it actually all season, that that is the huge, huge weakness for them. With yeah. players going over the hill. And then, like Dembele, obviously Dyer I never really bought into as the answer. And Sissoko and Winks have, have done all right, but that's the area they need to improve on big time. You know the club well. Will they sign someone by the end of January? This window? No, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think the resources exist at the moment. So, um, what did you think, think as a Spurs fan? Uh, there's a, there was an interview Harry Winks in the Mail on Sunday mm -hmm. where he said, trophies are not our number one priority at Tottenham this season. I, obviously, he's allowed to say that because... Look, yeah. his manager's saying it. Yeah. Um, so so he, can, he can say it. Never heard such garbage in all my life. If you have pretensions to be a proper top six club, yeah. trophies are the be-all and end-all, aren't they? I think so, but what we've... The situation they've sort of moved themselves into is they exist in this sort of permanent land of, not excuses, <laughs> but caveats. 
there is always a reason why a trophy is out of reach. There's always a budget that they can't compete with or a first team squad which is too broad. Winks, I, I don't blame him personally for saying that because that's the message at Spurs. That is the... You know that is the the the, the party. For as long like, as that's the message, for as long they as won't win trophies. Well, this is the thing. For as long as Pochettino is saying that publicly, his players are going to toe the line. And I, it's all my fondest memories to do with my football club involve trophies somewhere, mm. give or take a few isolated instances. So it's not something I love to hear. No. You know, with my with my writer hat on, I kind of understand it because I can see the sort of the growth of the side, the growth of the the club status, and the kind of the permits afforded by someone like Pochettino, but also the chances afforded to someone like Harry Wings. But I don't disagree with Adrian, of course I don't. But you get to a situation where push comes to shove and you need to actually have some tangible form of achievement. So, for instance, let's look at Liverpool. You've got a situation where they're at the stage of the season where the end justifies any means. Mm. You've got Klopp talking about, look, we're not the Harlem Globetrotters. Mm. Well, champions never are, are they? Well, can be. Man City were last year, <laughs> weren't they? They, they? they resembled football's version of that. But you don't have to be. It's all about results for Liverpool now. Uh, they're grinding out wins, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Clean sheets. Mm-hmm. What they've done that, that perhaps Tottenham haven't in their own development is that they've addressed all the problem areas. They've got a proper keeper. They've got better centre-halves. They've lucked out a bit with the young players coming through. Um, they added more dynamism in midfield. Shakiri as well, Shakiri I think, is a, great a lovely addition. facility to yeah. have in that squad. Yeah, Klopp, has, Klopp, the recruitment was top class and the development of the side is, is, is actually really enjoyable to see. But, yeah, they can play rubbish between now and the end of the season. But as long as they keep, keep winning and stay ahead of City, then, then Liverpool fans can live the dream, can't they? It, it, it's performances from here on in, almost irrelevant. Hype comes with the territory of being leaders in the Premier League. Mo Salah, there's a lot being made of his athleticism around the box when penalties are involved. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That's a nonsense, surely, isn't it? I know they've had four penalties since Boxing Day, but surely he deserves a little bit more credit than just to be labelled a diver. Yeah, because I don't think it's a binary issue. I think people, I think what's happened is since last season and given what he did in, in English football last season, I think any time he squares the defender up in the box, there's a little bit of panic which ripples through a defence. So he does get a little bit more attention. He gets a little bit more physical attention. And I'll be honest with you, and I, I really don't have a problem with this, he's become smarter at dealing with that. So there have been situations where the one that sticks out to me, Mike, is probably the Newcastle penalty where it doesn't look good on camera. I can understand why he's gone to ground and I can understand why it's a penalty. It's a generous decision. But then... That's not a, a, an attribute which is unique to Mo Salah. That is something which, which almost every major forward in the, on the continent possesses. So, no, I, I, don't, I don't believe that he needs to be tarnished. Uh, is anyone trying to he... claim that, oh, plenty. that oh, yeah, it wasn't been, a penalty was, Brighton? Well, yes, there were one or two, you know, the Brighton fans. And also, I think there's... There's a cumulative there is, suspicion that's this, sort of this, up There now. is a social media... Oh, the, the, the incident you know, that said was truth. Trump, that, that Liverpool are... are, are no, I'm penalty. not having that. I, th- I think the one that you're talking about against Newcastle was, was a really soft one. Yeah. It, was, it was borderline dive, very minimal contact. Well, against Arsenal, for sure, it was a pen. Um, the Brighton one was definitely a pen. No, he's, he's just, he, like, like you say, he causes panic inside the box, Mo Salah, and, and he, he's carrying them a bit at the moment, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. I don't think that Mane and Firmino are, are playing quite as well as they were. But that defence are doing fantastically well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They defend well from the front, though, as well, don't they, Liverpool? They always yeah. have. But, yeah, Van Dijk, for me, is almost nailed on for Footballer yeah. of the Year. Is this title charge 
almost dependent on on a almost an uncanny ability to beat teams outside the top five. You know, sixteen wins out of sixteen. Is that going to be the decisive difference? Well, it's certainly a correction of a of a recently historic yeah weakness. That was the problem. Wasn't yeah, it? you may. I mean, the amount of times that at Anfield, someone a team has come stack ten players behind the ball, and Liverpool. Liverpool's old weakness used to be that there was one way of playing and if it didn't work, they wouldn't get a result. And so while people sort of, you know, they look at a Brighton result and think, well, 1-0 with a penalty, it's a little bit dodgy. Actually, I think it's a virtue. You know, so it's a hallmark, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but it is a hallmark of champions. If you can go somewhere like that, get a single goal win and move on without actually really playing very well, good enough. Mm -hmm. And exactly as Adrian said, what does it matter? Three points at this stage of the season when you're top of the league, that's all that anyone should worry about. Mm. Um, just a quickie on Liverpool, Andrew Robertson. How good is he? Been? Oh, he's, oh, he's brilliant player. I think brilliant player. I don't think there's a better left back in Europe right now than Andrew no. Robertson. The the guy or the the people that scouted him and that saw the potential there, hope they got a pay rise. Tell you, Hull City deserve. I mean, whoever scouted him at Hull City and brought him to England in the first place deserves a huge amount of credit because we've all had the privilege of watching him live. And his energy is. Amazing. I mean, it makes me look. It makes me feel tired just by watching him. And he gets, the, he gets the culture as well, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he really does. You know, it's interesting to hear him talking after the Brighton performance about look, Naby Keita's going through that moment where you're just getting mm -hmm. into the rhythm of trying to play for a club like Liverpool. Fabinho's, Fabinho's done that. Um, you know, we all have to go through it. And if we look at Fabinho as a case in point. You've got him playing at centre half. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's doing okay. That can't you won't want him there too long. I know that Joe Gomez, I think, is quite close to coming mm. back, and that will give Liverpool a massive boost at the right time. I actually think if there is a weakness for Liverpool, it is that central midfield. Actually, even yeah. though it's they're better than Spurs in in that particular area, they still do miss that creator. I think it's really impressive that they've been so good this year without Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain because you think back to last year. Provide that thrust from midfield. All that thrust, yeah, that, that, yeah. that dynamism, that drive. He was sensational in that role and the, the top of the league without him. So, look, times are good at, at Anfield for sure. Um, and I, even though I tipped up City I, and I think they will close that gap, don't know if they're going to do it now. I think Liverpool are certainly in pole position. Mm, there is a sense that we're getting close to decision time around that top four. Saturday, Arsenal v Chelsea. Yeah, um, it's the BT Sport game. You know, you were at Chelsea as well on a busy weekend. Sadly, so yes. Um, <laughs> what's your impressions of them? I think they're dreadful. I, honestly, they yeah. um, the worst performance I've seen live this season was theirs at Wembley against Tottenham, when they were just a shambles. And sort of, we, we had a situation with Chelsea where through the first two months of the season, everybody signed off immediately on Sarri and the effect he'd had, and Sarri ball, Sarri ball, Sarri ball. It's just like you see it in very small glimpses, the quick transition through the middle of the pitch, the accurate touches, the verticality. But on Saturday, they, they really were atrocious. They look like a team who have an idea, but they don't have the players to execute it. Hazard is a world-class forward. Um, you know, Kante is Kante, and Jorginho is still struggling, but still a very good player. But at the top of that midfield, Matej Kovacic is it's so ponderous. And I, I'm not trying to sort of lumber him with the blame for, for what's going on, but it's so slow, it's so pedestrian, everything goes sideways or backwards, and it's kind of, you cannot possibly get something which looks more different to what Napoli were. Remember, Sarri wasn't hired for being a winner. He's never, he doesn't have a, a major trophy to his name. He is there because of the spectacle he provides and this sort of, this elusive quality Abramovich has always wanted in his Chelsea side. And I was shocked. I mean, Newcastle are a very limited team, but had they got a point or more, they would have deserved it. They played very well. 
and Chelsea were just were reliant on one excellent hazard touch, a good finish by Pedro, and a, another very good finish from. Seb's giving you some hope here, isn't he? Well, yeah, no, <laughs> it's, a, it's well, a full uh, sense of security, we'll, just so I can knock we'll him down. We'll get to Arsenal very straight. shortly, I'm sure. I, I, um, I still they had think, their issues. I, I think they'll be. The reason I, I think they'll still persevere on Saturday is their defence is better than Arsenal's. Yeah. Um, well, my criticism of Sarri, I think Seb's right about that performance, but I think in general, maybe a bit harsh. The <laughs> I just feel that given their league position, I just feel that Sarri is a bit too stubborn. He's got that plan A. And he maybe needs to come up with something different. Just, just something. Adrian, do you not think? I mean, I'm not sure. I, I even hold him responsible. I, I look at the Pulisic signing a couple of weeks ago when he was he was talking about it. He said, "Right, well, you know, they asked me about it a month ago, and I said, yeah, that'd be nice.' And then they told me they completed it 24 hours before he gave his press conference. I just thought that this is a specialist of the game. This is a this is a high priest of modern football with very specific requirements for how his team should play and the players who operate within that team." I'm not suggesting we go back to the old model where managers have complete autonomy over transfer decisions, but how do you not involve him in, in a decision to buy a, a £60 million player? I, I don't... And so you, when you look at the side now and you look at the way it's performing and you look at the way the gears are clunking within it, you have to think eventually this recruitment model has to change. They are being linked with quite a few players. Yes. You know, Icardi, Higuain, Rabiot, yes. Callum Wilson. Yes. It won't be a surprise to see them sign a striker, will it? No, no, no. they definitely <laughs> they have need to. a striker, yeah. Um, I like Hazard as a striker, I have to say. He has shown more than glimpses in the last few games that he can do the mm. job. His movement is unbelievable. Yeah. He's so sharp over three or four yards that just one drop of the shoulder and he can get put away. And as we saw at Brighton... either side as yeah, well. Yeah, we saw it at Watford, uh, yeah. we saw it at Brighton. He can finish. So he can be the Dries Mertens for Chelsea. Yeah. He can be yeah. that guy. But they still need someone else, I think. Uh, the Maratta experiment's probably coming towards an end, isn't it? It just doesn't seem like he's, he's overly well, comfortable. He didn't, he didn't have him on, even on the bench, did he? Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't want to be there, I don't no. think. He doesn't look like someone no. that wants to be on the pitch. I, I've right? got to be honest, I've, I've always been a huge fan of Gonzalo Higuain, but I'm not entirely convinced that Higuain will be a million times better than Maratta or Giroud, actually, at this stage of his career. I'd be going down the Wilson route because I just think... They will need pace, Chelsea, and that's why Hazard works. But they need that pace down the side of the central defender. So I would, I would be going for him, but I suspect it'd be Higuain. With um, Chelsea, you've got almost like the perennial problem: Hudson Odoi. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of sympathy for him. Yeah. Okay, he's only eighteen, but you look at what's happened with San Sancho in similar age. Bayern Munich want him; they're yeah. prepared to pay an awful lot of money for him. And suddenly, Chelsea think. Oh, no, we want to keep him. Why? It's a difficult one. I mean, I oh, literally, because he's a super player. He came on as a substitute on Saturday, but I, I was at the, um, the League Cup semi-final at Wembley the week before, and um, he was terrifying. I mean, other than Hazard, every time he touched the ball, he straightened the back of every Tottenham fan in the stadium. He's got that, okay, he's a little bit raw, his end product isn't quite what it should be, and he doesn't always make the right decision. When he picks up the ball and when he runs at defender, he's already, he's a, he's a problem. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, there's a sort of he's become a, a kind of an emblem of something at Chelsea with the crowd. I mean, when he when he came on on Saturday, his name was sort of thundered out of the out of the stands, and it was made. We want you to stay. And I think I, I, I don't know whether that's just a, a sort of a, the cumulative effect of of this age-old problem Chelsea have had of allowing players, well, not allowing players to leave, but not really giving them a proper chance. And also, I imagine a lot of Chelsea fans are sort of have got one eye on Jadon Sancho and, and the the error Manchester City made. 
because he looks like he's a you know 150 million pound player in the waiting. I got, I got a theory I mean, on this. I, I just Ooh, I love it. Go, go, go for it. Well, it sounds really basic, but sometimes we give football clubs too much credit that they're more intelligent than what they actually are. <laughs> it could be that he was perceived as a you know, promising player on the sidelines. And suddenly Bayern Munich coming for him, it's like, we, we better take we it better have a look at him. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. better have a look at him. If Bayern Munich want him, why aren't you using him, Rizzio? Oh, all right, I'll, I'll have a closer look at him. I'm not saying that's what's happened, but I wouldn't mind uh, putting a bit of money on the fact that that is something close to that. Because if a club like Bayern Munich are willing to pay that much for one of your reserves, you're going to have a look at them. And I, I think he should go. Well, but really by all accounts, Bayern... Bayern want to give him Aaron Robin's shirt long term. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a huge ask for a player, and that's an intimidating situation to walk into. Yeah. Bayern Munich exists in very rare, but that's a but difficult thing to do. What strikes me about this emerging generation of players is that they're fearless. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I um, Sanchez is the, the obvious example, but someone like Adamola Luckman, give me a loan in, in the Bundesliga. Okay, you're going to only want to go back as well, which, you know, that's a, a different situation and sort of equally nebulous from Everton's. Perspective, it's a very strange one, yeah. but I, I like it. It's a sort of this cosmopolitan, urbane mentality where players just think, "I'm not afraid of the different culture that, yeah. and a different language. I'm not afraid of leaving home as a teenager. I want a career, and I'm going to go and chase one." And I, you're all power to them for that. Mm. Fantastic. Let's get round to our side. <sighs> mm. um, they need to sort out the Ozil situation, ASAP, don't they? Yeah, they do. I, I don't know what's going on. Mesut Ozil gets into my Arsenal eleven. Almost every every week, I, I can make an argument for occasionally leaving him out because his record in big away games, testing away games, has been pretty poor down the years. But but Arsenal without him and without Ramsey at the same time, which was the case at West Ham at the weekend, they have a functional look to them. That these are two guys, Özil and Ramsey, that that are match winners that can make the difference, whether it's through a brilliant pass, you know, a bit of vision or, in Ramsey's case, making fantastic runs at will that drag defenders away. We saw that in the final half hour at London Stadium. To have one out of the side is bad enough, but to have both out at the same time, it really does stunt Arsenal's creativity and ability to hurt opposition teams. They were too slow at the weekend. It's a really, really disappointing performance. If they don't improve markedly, um, Chelsea will win comfortably. Yeah, and it's a case of the business plan being more important than the team sheet, isn't it? Because if you look at Ramsey in particular, there was a stat on social media at the weekend. In terms of frequency of assists, only Messi is better than Ramsey on current form. Mm. That says a lot, doesn't it? It does. And also, by all accounts, I mean, the, the, the version of the truth that most people have been sold is that the Ramsey problem is perpetuated by Ozil's contract and the amount of money committed to his future. But then you've got a strange situation when neither of them are starting regularly. So you kind of, you're not even really having that either-or scenario. I don't understand it. I mean, I, I, I always think that Arsenal look a better side with Ramsey in it. If there was a North London derby tomorrow, I would be happy to see him not on the side. I can't expand on that. I don't, I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, at all. It's, it's, it's a difficult situation. I think Ozil's work rate is, is an issue for the manager in terms yeah. of what he can offer the team. And I think, I think that's at the root cause of where they're at between them at the moment. But you've got to find a way. You know, he's been paid a lot of money and Arsenal aren't thriving without him. Mm. So I think it is time. I would certainly be bringing him back for the Chelsea game and, and to give him that responsibility. I think he probably will, actually. I would be surprised if he didn't play. For me, and I think a lot of Arsenal fans, 
there is a lineup out there, a starting eleven that they all want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not really seeing it. I, I like the system that Spurs played at the moment: four three one two or a four four two diamond. Suit so Arsenal. You have got Bellerin, Monreal, Socrates, and Holding or, or Koscielny. That's your back four. Torreira at the base. Xhaka's not playing well at the moment, but I'd go Torreira, Xhaka and Ramsey either side, with Ozil in behind the front two of Lacazette and Aubameyang. It's getting the best players in the best positions. And that is the team sheet that every opposition doesn't want to see. We're still waiting for that. There is a a sense of one being found out, and secondly, of stasis, in as much as that because of the financial situation, we're told they can only afford loans. (laughs) Where does the money go? Very good question. Well, this is the thing, because I, you, they did spend a little bit of money over the summer. They did, Aubameyang came last January. Mm-hmm. But there has to be a point at which, it's the age-old problem with, with Arsenal's ownership. At what point are you happy just to be a good Premier League side? And when do you want to actually make a proper challenge uh, for the top four? Because, you know, if you look above you, it's Spurs aside, there's a lot of money going around. Now, Liverpool spent 180 million quid over the summer. You know, Manchester City, Manchester City, Manchester United will probably spend 200 million pounds every summer. You can't bring in lone players and expect them to have a long-term effect on the trend of the club. It just doesn't. Yeah, I, I was reading a few bits and pieces uh, from financial experts in football, and I think the, the issue—I can't remember what the acronym is—but it, it is the regulation on wage bills. And I don't think Arsenal are in a position where they can—they're almost at the max, and, and they're not allowed to increase their wage bill by, by seven million or something like that. I can't remember what, what the figure was, but they're, they're tight on that. Mm. And that, that, I think, is the issue holding which, them back. Which is the strange, though, Adrian. If, if you had the input from the owner that was prepared to just yeah. go, boom, there you go, it can be topped up. Or, and that's what Arsenal don't have at the moment. Or even the clarity from the owner. I mean, there's sort of, I mean, I understand the restrictions placed by a, a big wage bill, but then you think, well, how much money is Carl Jenkinson on? You know, things like that. You just think, on the one hand, you know, you've arrived at a situation where you want to do things not as cheap as possible, but economically. But then in the past, you've had players on, on ridiculous contracts. Players who, I mean, no disrespect to any of them, but some who just have no business in the top six of the league. Yeah, there are three or four players. Look, I think you ask most Arsenal fans, they, they would, if you shipped out three or four players on 50, 60 grand a week that are squad players and gave that money to Aaron Ramsey, would they have an issue with it? No, because they wouldn't. So I would have liked to have seen us be a bit more creative in that. But look, they've made that decision and, and he's on his way to Juventus, we, we believe, and we wish him well. But it's a big loss for Arsenal. Yeah. Big loss. Forgive me for being cynical, because that does happen occasionally in, in this studio. <laughs> um, Declan Rice. Yes. He's not going to be at West Ham next season, is he? It's his 20th birthday today, by the way. Happy birthday, Declan Rice. Well, I... I hope so, Mike. I mean, I, I'm, I want to see him play. And at the moment, the kind of teams that could afford to convince West Ham to sell him, well, there's only about two of them in the league. And one of them is probably Manchester City. And if you go to Manchester City, then maybe you, you, you potentially see him as a long-term replacement for Fernandinho. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a, you know, it's realistic. But then I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting these young English or Irish, we don't know with Declan Rice yet. He hasn't made up his mind. English. But, well, we, we hope so. We hope so. But I, I, um, I, from a supporter's perspective, from a you know what I want to see when I go to football, I, I like to see young players learning the game. And and he's made a lot of progress in what isn't a perfect West Ham side, a West Ham side that struggled a lot and which has a lot of imperfections. And yet still, he's evolving at this fascinating rate. And you just think, I want that to continue. I don't want someone to stump up sixty million pounds for him and say, right, well. You can learn the game and have 15 minutes in, in League Cup games here and there and, 
because it stymies everything and also it lumbers a young person, forget the footballer aspect, a guy that is barely out of his teens with this huge expectation. To go from being a, no one really had heard of, of Declan Rice you know, 18 months ago and to go from that to being, right, well, you're the long-term successors for one of the, the best holding players in, the, in Europe in the space of two years. It's, it's can't a be jump, good. but I do think he's the real deal, Mike. You oh, get I a, sen you get a that, sense of it, like, don't you? I, I really do. I thought he was absolutely immense against Arsenal. He's one of the most immaculate young footballers that I've seen mm. in a generation. I mean, in terms of the way he wins the ball back. I did a piece of Never leaves his feet. I did a piece of it. He's made... So few fouls. Yeah. He makes like one foul every three games. And this is the guy that wins the ball back for West Ham United more than any other player. Mm -hmm. He's their pr most prolific tackler. He, he makes very few fouls. His pass is very sound. He, he gets across the pitch to break up play. I think Man City would be, you know, he would certainly be on Man City's radar. I think Manchester United is a potential destination for him. Mm -hmm. he, he would probably walk into the United team, actually. Mm. I think he's a real deal. He would certainly be in my next England squad if he chooses that. And uh, he's destined to play in the Champions League. I do agree with Seb to a point that for now, West Ham's the place for him. Yeah. But within two years, I, I might be wrong here, but I feel he will have outgrown West Ham and that he, he needs to be playing Champions League. Because mm. we all know, don't we, Seb, that, that money screams in football. Sure does. And it's certainly yelling at Newcastle. Again, I'll ask the same question I asked about mood music. You saw them at Chelsea, you, you know, were around when Rafa did his debrief. Yeah. What was the mood like? Not great from about three o'clock onwards when the Newcastle fans started to come into the stadium. I mean, they got wind fairly early that Mike Ashley was at Stamford Bridge and I can't repeat the chance on... Something about his girth, wasn't it? <laughs> something something about his girth and his, yeah, which part of the country he comes from. Yeah, I, I, um, it's a very strange situation because you, you see this team and you, you see them you see them stocked with really championship players. I mean, it's about five or six players who should be playing at the level. That's a championship team, isn't it? It's really? a championship team. I mean, uh, with, with a couple of exceptions. I thought Rondon was excellent on that. Yeah, Rondon's good. He, he played very, very well. But it's just so... It's a zombie club. They, they, they just... Trudge on. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much respect I have for Newcastle's away fans. They're better than I am, ever, ever was as a supporter, because if that's what I am travelling that amount of distance to watch, I mean, they, they ended up playing well on, on Saturday, but, you know, what is, the, what, is, what is the expectation and the hope at Newcastle? What are you, as a supporter, what are you paying your money to see? And at the moment, we've got this sort of very vague takeover situation dragging on, and you can't help but be cynical about that because of what happened last year. And you, behind it all, you suspect, oh, maybe this is just a justification not to invest in the squad again. Mm. Um, and so it, it's very negative. The fans, to their credit, remain a great asset to their side. They're right behind them. They're very, very loud. They travel to every part of the country. Huge respect to them for that. But it, it has to change because it's, it's, an, it's almost a non-club. They exist. They don't actually do anything. And it's really sad. I grew up with a Newcastle team that were entertaining and ambitious and, you know, to their own fault, sometimes a bit reckless. But they were a, a great part of the league you know Newcastle is a traditional powerhouse and it represents something that has been tarnished spoiled mm, you look at it and there's been some bizarre stuff around this weekend about oh Rafa should go out and buy the players <laughs> yeah. out of his own own money and uh, they're debt free well actually the accounts say they're 144 million pounds yeah. of debt last time around yeah. it just has the feel of a club 
which is just sucked into a spiral. Yeah. Do you think they'll go down? Uh, <laughs> there's a very real prospect they'll go down. There might just be three teams worse than them. Rondon stays fit. I think they'll just about survive. I mean, they might get enough points at home to steer clear of it, but it's going to be close, that is yeah. for sure. Ridiculous comments, <laughs> not on Rafa. Uh, even, Rio, even, even Rio Ferdinand weighed in and said, Newcastle fans should be thanking my cash. I didn't, didn't quite get that one. What I was saying on this takeover, by the way, if, if these people are serious, shouldn't they just demand that Ashley spends X amount this month in order to make sure that they stay up and then they'll just add it on to the price that they pay him at the end of the day because it's be really, really risky, won't it, to to leave it until January oh, passes. Oh, asset. Yeah, exactly. Asset, like, they could just, yeah, just say, look, we, we pledge that whatever you put into the squad this, this month, when we buy it, we will uh, add that on top of the asking price because that squad at the moment is on a knife edge of going down to the championship. The only thing that keeps them in the division, the only reason why we think, right, probably three teams worse than is Benitez. Mm. That's the only, maybe Rondon, but the only, the only, the only justification for saying they're going to stay up is the manager. Mm. Huge game at Cardiff, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely massive. And Cardiff are no joke. They're, uh, they're a little bit of a tail off lately. You know, the energy level has dropped off, and, and understandably so. Mm. Um, but they are a, um, I mean, they too, they are full of championship players, but yeah. also my favourite player in the league, Callum Patterson, I think is, uh, <laughs> what a spectacle. He's just like a, I tell you what, I mean, if I had a son, I mean, I've watched Callum Patterson quite a lot. If I had a son, I'd say, watch, watch the way he plays the game. Big smile on his face, his interviews, he's cheery, he loves it. He is an advert for how great it must be to be a professional footballer. I think he's, um, I think he's been terrific. He's just uh, this big, jolly, you know, huge target man. He's just <laughs> well, it was a midfielder. He was and a, a fullback. You know what, he, when, he, when he was at Hearts, he was, um, okay. he was expected to long-term to be a forward, but yeah, yeah. he will play anywhere. Yeah, and he's yeah. great. He's uh, and he will cause problems okay. in Newcastle. <laughs> a few uh, questions uh, from the listeners and the viewers. Uh, Jacob Butler, what's more likely, City winning the title by mid-April, seven points ahead with three games left, or Liverpool on the last game week? Uh, Liverpool in the last game week. I think. I don't think City are going to win it by seven, no. seven points. I, can't, I cannot see. I think Liverpool will have a wobble. I, I think it's, it'd probably be. Uh, when the Champions League comes back. Yeah, it'd be foolish for us to assume they're just going to continue on this yeah. serene path to, to Premier League glory. We saw what happened to them the year with Gerard Slips. So, yeah, I think they'll have the old wobble and that the gap will close, but it might go to the last day. Wouldn't that be good for the Premier League? Yeah, yeah. It certainly would. Um, one from Brian N for you. Is the lack of investment at Spurs going to be their undoing at the business end of the season? It depends what you, you expect from your Spurs season. You think they're really title challengers, then yes, but that they're not, and it's not really their aim. They're, uh, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll finish in the top four. But you know, they've been prepared for this lack of investment for you know they've been working around it for a long time now. So no, I wouldn't have thought so. But if you have lofty expectations and you're imagining Champions League semi-finals and FA Cup wins and that kind of thing, then yeah, probably. Mm. Ian Taylor asks, Aid, what do you think of Leicester fans calling for Puel to be sacked? Has the title win skewed reality for the fans? No, I don't think it's anything to do with the no. title win. I, I, I genuinely don't. No. And look, you look at Leicester, the ceiling is probably seventh. I know they won the title, but the ceiling really is seventh and they're not far off of that. But, and this is a big but, Claude Puel is delivering a, a brand of rubbish football and it's not playing to the strengths of their key men, particularly Jamie Vardy. And they're bored of watching that style of play. Personally, I think... If they had a more dynamic manager and someone 
that had a bit more tactical nous as well. I know he's, he can be a good tactician, Puel, but just some, a slightly more adventurous manager. Leicester City could still finish seventh, but they would be the people's club. They would be the team we all want to go and watch. At the moment, no one wants to go and watch Leicester, not even Leicester fans. Right. Vernon Grant finishes us off on this one. Is there a reluctance on the part of all, including football reporters, to admit that Fergie is managing affairs via the ever-likable Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Fergie organised coaching appointments and he is de facto first-team manager. Ollie's good at lifting the spirits of the players, but let's face it, Mourinho going did that. Oof, hospital party. <laughs> that, that's the last question. That's yeah. how you're going to get him to end. Um, no, I don't think there's reluctance on, on the part of the media because I think it's quite obvious. You know, I, I think Ferguson's influence at Manchester United is there for most to see. I don't, I don't see the, the conspiratorial aspect of that question. That's baffled me. I don't. Maybe I haven't had enough coffee. I'm yeah. not sure. But that, that was that was like five questions in one. Well, my my, my <laughs> feeling is the link, isn't it? I mean, it, I think it'd probably be silly of us to think that Mike Feeling and Fergie don't talk anymore. Of so, or so, Solskjaer himself. I would, you know. Yeah. I would, look, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I've, I've met. I've been lucky enough to meet him a few times. He couldn't stop talking about Fergie. He loves Fergie. He's mm -hmm. a disciple of Fergie. And he, and if it's a collective structure, yeah. he's got to be involved. We, with we it. saw the three or four of them on the bench colluding, you know, working as a coaching team to get the tactics right at Spurs in between games. So what if Sir Alex well, is, that's is, joins that team? I don't understand the negative slant of that. I mean, wouldn't you want Oli Solskjaer to be having tea with Alex Ferguson every couple of weeks? I mean, if there was one person that you'd want to be, you know, sort of overseeing your club's return to its... It's I think it's one of the biggest mistakes of Moyes and Van Gaal and Jose Mourinho was actually to yeah. distance themselves from Ferguson. Yeah, absolutely. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's He's reunited uh, the, the Fergie spirit and uh, United are better for it. OK, very quick answer to the key question. Do you have Solskjaer as a long-term manager? <laughs> I think Pochettino is the best man for the job. Can I say that? Yep. Yeah, you keep him. I mean, Pochettino comes with a £40 million fee at least and no guarantees at succeeding in that model. He's the wrong manager of Man United. Well, there's a huge temptation to allow the heart to rule the head. Now, this is no criticism of Solskjaer. He's done brilliantly. But I'd still go for Pochettino. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.